So if you have a Bible, if you would open it to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 4 through 9. Uh, I hope that, at least my goal for the message today is that when we leave, we have not only a reminder of who we are in Christ, but really a reminder of our role as believers, what God has called us to be. And so in this passage in 1 Peter 2, we're going to look particularly at a phrase uh, toward the end of verse 9 where it says that we are a royal priesthood. And what does that mean? What does that mean that you are a part of a royal priesthood today as believers in Christ? So let's look at 1 Peter 2, 4 through 9 and see what God would have for us this morning. It says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen. So... This was written by Peter about A.D. 60 to believers at that time in the ancient world to affirm that their salvation in Christ was sure, that it was certain, that despite intense hardship and persecution, Peter challenges them to keep the faith and live a holy life. You can trust that your faith in Christ is valid. You can trust that He is your Savior. And so in verse 5, he reminds them as believers You're a part of a spiritual house. The Greek word is oikos. It means not only the structure, the physical building, but the family that is within. You are a part of the house of God. And so by context, probably this is possibly a reference to the temple because believers at that time had lost the privileges of the temple because they were dispersed and they were being persecuted. And so Peter is writing, regardless of where you're at, regardless of what you're going through, Your unity in Christ brings you together, and you are the abode of the Most High God. And so then in verse 9, he says, not only are you a spiritual house, but you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, or a kingly lineage. Now, if you read that only in the context of 1 Peter, what does it mean to say, I'm a royal priesthood? What does that mean? You really can't look at it only in the context of those verses, because Peter was living out the New Testament. He wasn't wasn't reading it. He was referring to and thinking in his mind about the Old Testament. So there is a correlation between the Old Testament priesthood and the believer's role that's described here as being a part of the royal priesthood. See, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And oftentimes in Scripture, in the New Testament, when you find a word that maybe you don't quite understand, you'll find its definition, and, it's, and you'll find deeper understanding in the Old Testament. Now, we need to also remember that the Bible is a Hebrew document. And if you removed all the books of the Bible that were written by Jews, you'd only have three or four books in your Bible. So it's a, the, the Hebrew culture 
And the Hebrew language helps us understand the story of the Bible and better understand the life of Christ. And so I want to look at the Old Testament priesthood, see what their responsibilities were, so that we can understand who we are in the New Testament as part of the royal priesthood. And first, I need to tell you that though Christ came and fulfilled the Scripture, the Bible does say there will always be priests. In Jeremiah 33, the prophet said, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites, the priests, can be broken. Now, I don't know about you, but I think when we awoke this morning, we saw the sunrise, right? And we'll see the moon this evening. So that promise still stands. The prophet Ezekiel, and then in Revelation, it indicates that priests will again serve in the temple. In fact, do you know that in Israel right now, that the... the uh, Religious Jews are very serious about preparing uh, the priesthood for the third temple. In the book of Revelation, it says that the temple is going to be rebuilt. Now, we understand that Christ is our sacrifice, and we don't need the blood of a goat or a lamb. Understand that. But the religious Jews there are, are identifying priests, and they are training them for temple service. There's an organization called the Temple Institute that is preparing temple vessels. They have the high priest ephod. Uh, that held the stones on it. They have the high priest robe. They have the, uh, the, the table of showbread is being prepared. I was there a couple of years ago and saw uh, one of the trays that goes in the table of showbread. It was overladen with gold valued at more than $300,000. So that, just one tray. They're very serious about preparation for what they believe is the coming of the Messiah. And what we know and are helping them to understand is the what? <laughs> the second coming, the return of our Messiah. So, the priesthood is being rebuilt, is what I'm telling you, in Israel. Who were the priests in the Old Testament? In the tabernacle and temple system, God set up a format of worship. That's what all of that was about, sacrificing the animals and, and bringing the offerings. It was all about worshiping God, being restored to God through the blood of the sacrificed animal. And so, regular teams of Levites, or what Chronicles refers to as courses, of priests would serve in the temple. They were descendants of Aaron to assist Aaron, the high priest, in performing sacrifices and making offerings and much more. So there was a system of worshiping God that was uh, led by the priesthood. But who are priests today? Peter just said in verse 9, you are a royal priesthood, that you serve in a priestly role. Why? That you might declare the praises of God. A royal priesthood for His praise. So to fully understand this, we need to understand the Jewish priesthood that Peter is referring to. Priests did not just sacrifice animals. Their job descriptions were much longer than that. And as we look at these tasks, we're going to see what does God mean for us being a part of the royal priesthood. And here's the first thing I want to say. You are, as a, as a believer in Christ, and as a, a member of that house, you are a teacher. You see, the priests were teachers. They carried the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, around in that, that big box called the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God dwelt. And in fact, Moses instructed that the priests would read the first five books extensively. This was an intensive reading every seven years on the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you remember, when the Israelites came out of Babylonian captivity, Ezra, the prophet, stood at a bema, or a, a pulpit, and he instructed them, he read, and he declared the Word of God. 
All right? So Paul in the New Testament tells Timothy, Timothy, present yourself to God as one approved who correctly handles the word of truth. In other words, as a disciple of Christ, I must be tutored in how to rightly divide the word of God. I need to be studying God's word. I need to be hiding it in my heart that it might direct my path, that I might not sin against him. So teaching is not just for those who have a degree on the wall or are in a classroom setting, or teaching is not just reserved for the guys behind or the people behind the pulpit, but rather teaching is a part of all of us as believers who are a part of the royal priesthood of God. You are a teacher. Your life teaches. Your words teach. And as you hide this in your heart, this is what comes forth. I remember a few years ago, a friend of mine who's gone on to be with the Lord, his name is Johnny. Johnny was a buyer for the Green family. He traveled the globe buying up ancient script, uh, manuscripts, buying up ancient... In fact, he bought up so many Torah scrolls that he drove the price of, of scrolls um, astronomical where anybody else had to pay lots and lots of money if you could find one there for a few years. And the Museum of the Bible by the Green family is, houses many of the artifacts that Johnny was able to get. So Johnny came to the church where I pastored one year uh, quite some time ago, he brought a copy of a Middle Ages English Bible, very large Bible, and he slammed it on the pulpit, and I noticed that it had a big long chain on it, a rusty chain. I said to him after the service, Johnny, uh, what, what's, the, what's the deal with the chain? He said, Kevin, the average person in that time period could not afford a Bible, and the clergy were the only ones really who had access to it and authorized really to speak about it and speak from it, and so they chained it to the pulpit so that nobody would take off with that copy of the Bible. Wow. Different day. Different day because you have a Bible, don't you? Yep. You've got lots of versions of Bibles. Access in moments on your phone or a Bible, several Bibles on your shelf at home, and yet polls indicate that an alarming percentage of believers do not read the Bible. I pray God's conviction would fall upon us for not reading His love letter to us. I travel all the time to churches across, uh, really across the nation where the Bible is not opened. Now, we're not all teachers with a degree, but we are called to go and make disciples. And the Bible says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the Word of God that is hidden in your heart becomes your testimony. As you hide it in your heart, that's what you speak. As you hide it in your heart, that's what you think. That's, that's what people understand uh, for, as you begin to teach them. You, as a royal priesthood, just like an Old Testament priest, are a teacher. Not only were they teachers, they were servants. The verb form of the word kohen, kohen is a priest. The verb form is lekahan, and it means to serve. So a priest was a servant. It says in Exodus 28 that God set Aaron apart to minister or to serve before the Lord. Now, as a servant, that, also, that word also means that you are one who undertakes another's cause. A priest undertakes God's cause. We're not here for our own agenda. We're here for God's agenda. Right? I'm His servant. Now, that might involve hands-on ministry. Jesus Himself said, I came to serve, not to rule. In fact, the disciples were arguing over who would be the greatest, and Jesus said, who is greater, he who sits at a table or he who serves? And yet, I am among you as the one who serves. We are here to serve Christ Jesus every day. 
in our workplace, in our homes, in our family, in our neighborhoods, wherever we are. And that service might include taking care of the sick, and sometimes you've got to clean up the vomit. It might include feeding people and washing the dishes, clothing the poor, especially the widows and the orphans, visiting the prisoners. No role is too menial. No role is, is, demean, is too demeaning, whether you're a man or a woman. In fact, the first servants were chosen to serve tables and care for the widows, and they were men who were said to be full of faith, the Holy Spirit, wisdom, esteemed for their spiritual maturity. So I'm saying to you, you are, we need to be reminded today, because we like to be served, right? <laughs> we like for others to wait on us. We like for others to do for us. But as Christ, as Christians, and, and as, as uh, followers of Christ, as a royal priesthood, we are servants of the God Most High. So you're a teacher and you're a servant. But let's get a little deeper into this. The priests didn't only serve and teach, but they also had a role in healing. Let me explain. The priests were healers. Now, they didn't practice medicine exactly like physicians do today, but they, they inspected disease. They looked at sickness among people. They determined the severity of it. They directed seclusion if that was necessary for the group to be um, protected from some disease. They declared when an individual was clean and able to come back. In other words, they facilitated the healing that the Lord did. They were facilitators in God's healing. You are to facilitate healing. Now think about that a moment. You know, today maybe 80%... Some say 80% of disease is not simply physical malfunction. In other words, it's not just physical, but also related to a person's mental state or a person's emotional state or the Bible might would say related to that part of us which we call our soul. In fact, in Deuteronomy 28, it concurs. There's a list of blessings and cursings. It's real simple. Blessed if you do what God says, cursed if you don't. Right? It's, it's pretty well black and white. And it includes a list, get this, a list of sicknesses, physical maladies that occur to you, that will occur to those who are disobedient. That's interesting. I don't follow God in my heart. It affects me physically. Now, I know some people don't want to hear that, but that's the Word of God. In fact, one Jewish commentary even says that leprosy is the result of slander, and they cite Miriam, who slandered her brother Moses and then was stricken with leprosy. So medical experts agree some maladies, I'm not talking about every circumstance, but some maladies, maybe more than we think, are traced to stress and fear and anxiety. So I'm talking about healing on a broad scale, not just physical healing. I'm talking... More of us, we need more than physical healing, folks. We need the things that are causing problems with, with our bodies. We need the emotions healed. We need our soul cleansed by God. So, why do most of us then, and I'll talk about doctors in a moment. I'm not anti-doctors. I'm not anti-medicine. But why do most of us go to the doctor before we go to the Lord? Or before we go to the Word? Or before we go to prayer? When verses like, uh, scripture in James 5 says, Is any one of you sick? Let him call upon the elders of the church. Let, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Notice there, the church prays, the Lord heals. That's my responsibility. The church prays, the Lord heals. Why is prayer the solution? Because sickness is often spiritual. It can be buried guilt. It can be anger causing your physical sickness 
It can be bitterness. In fact, Scripture says bitterness is a rottenness to the bones, and some trace that back to possibly cancer. Uh, unforgiveness. These things cause real problems in our life, and they affect not only the way we think, but the way we feel. Now, again, I'm not saying there's no place for doctors or for medicine. Thank God. I had a professor at a university one time tell me that aspirin is divine healing. And you know what? He's right. We don't even have the smarts to put together the compounds in a pill to stop a headache without God giving us that direction, right? So even aspirin is divine healing. It comes from God. So all healing is from the Lord. It's not God heals me or, or the doctors heal me. No. That's only through God that healing can take place. So I'm not against doctors and medicine. God uses those things. But sometimes you can deal with inside issues and the symptoms go away. Third John, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2 says, I pray you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. So John links the soul and the body because what affects the soul affects the body. So why don't we turn to the Lord? Why don't we turn to the Word? Why don't we turn to the church anymore? Listen, the church today, too much of the church today, is powerless because they don't believe in healing. Again, not just talking about physical healing. Some shy away because, yes, there has been improper teaching, unfortunately, and there has been abuse in the area of talking about healing. But some shy away because it also sometimes involves confession. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. We fear transparency, and we don't want to look at inner wounds. But the Lord has called you to be transparent to a world that needs to see His truth. Amen. Right? You need to be transparent. We need to facilitate the healing that the Lord wants to bring. And that might mean some genuine, truthful talks with some of those that are in need of healing. We need to facilitate healing and, let, and, and lead others to the Lord. So as a priesthood... As a royal priesthood, you're a teacher, you're a servant, you're a healer. Guess what? You're also a judge. What? Well, the priests were decision makers. They made judgments of all kinds, declaring whether a leper was clean, setting the value on gifts that were brought before the Lord, determining if an accusation against an adulteress was true or not. In fact, Deuteronomy 21 says, by their word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled. Now listen to that. This is describing the priests, the Levites. Not just Aaron, the high priest, but the Levites. By their word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled. Now who's settling our problems today? Facebook? Republicans or the Democrats? Who's settling our problems? The world? You know, you always hear, well, I'm a, as a believer, you're not to judge. Don't, don't make judgments. Matthew 7, 1 is what they quote. Judge not that you be not judged. But you know what Jesus really says in the context of that chapter and other places that talk about judging? He's saying don't judge others hypocritically for things that you're currently doing. <laughs> right? Don't judge others hypocritically for things that you haven't given up or that you're guilty of. In other words, what he's saying is go and get right before the Lord and then John 7, 24 says judge with righteous judgment. Yeah, we've, we've abdicated our responsibility to make judgments today in this world because the world says it's not popular, it's not politically correct, or it's not right, and because of it, we're in a mess. 
Listen, we need to make godly decisions. We need to stop worrying about political correctness and be more concerned about biblical correctness. Now, there, yeah, there, is, there is such a thing as sinful offense, and we need to be careful. If you are a hypocrite and not just being hypocritical, then you may be guilty of sinful offense. Let me tell you, sometimes I am hypocritical because I say one thing and I do another. I'm guilty. I've done it. But I am not a hypocrite. I don't live my life that way. When I'm hypocritical, the conviction of God falls upon me and I confess it and I get right with the Lord and I don't want to live my life that way. So there's a difference between occasionally being hypocritical and being a hypocrite. Now, if you're a hypocrite and you don't treat others with respect and love and grace and mercy, then you need to come before the Lord in repentance. But the other side of that coin is this. There is such a thing as godly offense. And the Word of God, this Bible, is an offense to the world. It, is an, it goes against the grain of what the world says is right. The world's view of right is upside down. Rather, the Bible really seems upside down compared to the way we're living our lives today. We need to stop apologizing for the gospel. We need to explain the good news. We need to live it out. And sometimes that requires using good judgment. Listen, we need to judge between right and wrong. We need citizens who will vote based on Bible principle. We need parents who will make wise financial decisions based on the Word of God. We need believers who will act wisely in regards to social media. We need business owners who stand for truth in the marketplace and with business dealings. And we need teenagers who will be a Joshua generation and say, Choose you this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Listen, folks. Look, look at where not judging has gotten us, right? How's that working out for you? So you are called to be a judge. Quit letting the world tell you that, that you don't serve beneath the great judge. And you need to make some wise, godly decisions. Make some choices because it's the right thing to do and not the world thing to do. All right, I want to also say that we are mediators. You know, in Numbers chapter 16, Korah... And 250 other folks rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The Bible says the earth swallowed up Korah's clan, and the 250 were consumed by fire. Well, then the people grumbled and blamed Moses for their death. And a plague broke out among the Israelites. The high priest Aaron said that, it says in Scripture, that he had to make an offering before the Lord on behalf of the people who were now stricken with, with sickness. And it records in Numbers 16.48, Aaron stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. Now think about that a minute. Okay, you're the royal priesthood. We're looking at Aaron and the priesthood as the, in the Old Testament as the, as the definition of what that means for us. Aaron was a mediator. And it says that he stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. A mediator is one who occupies a middle position. A mediator intercedes for another and sometimes even holds back the wrath of God. You know it says in James that if, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So as a believer, you literally are called to stand between life and death. See, as, as the royal priesthood of God, his spiritual house, out there in that world, you stand between the life of a nation and the death of a nation based on what you do today. You stand between the life of a family and the death of a family based on how you teach, 
based on how you heal, based on how you judge, based on how you love. Right? You stand between the life and death of an individual. You stand in the role of the greatest mediator of all, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, because you've been anointed, you've been destined, you've been called to stand between life and death. So you are all of these things and more. But I need to, I need to say this. While you are a, a teacher and a servant and a, and a healer and a judge and a mediator, you cannot do those things in your own strength. You have to be anointed of God. You see, the high priest, before he could be the high priest, had to be consecrated as the high priest, along with the priests, too. So there was a process for that. In the Old Testament, oil was poured on Aaron's beard as a symbol of God's anointing. And then it says that blood was applied to the tip of his right ear, his right thumb, and his right big toe. And why that? Because, you see, it was applied to the right ear because God empowered the priest's hearing. It was applied to the, the right hand because God empowered the priest's serving. It was applied to, the right, applied to the right foot because God empowered the walk of the priest, the life of the priest. God enabled them to hear. God enabled them to serve. God enabled them to live. A person can be called a minister and not be anointed. And unfortunately, we have some of those in our pulpits today, I think, and in places of leadership. Because you can serve God in your own strength and not be led by the Holy Spirit. You can serve God really from your own agenda and not have submitted really to God's agenda. Because when the Holy Spirit directs you, there's an anointing to do the things that God has called you to do. God gave detailed instructions to preach about temple service. And if they did it any other way, it could have meant death. I mean, literally, the Bible tells us that a rope was tied to the high priest when he went into the most holy place so that if he messed up, did something wrong, and he was struck dead, they could pull him out. Read it. Okay? So what, our role is very important. What we do is very serious. And it has to be beneath, beneath the anointing of God. As a priest, we must walk in the Lord's anointing. That means I've got to lay aside the flesh. That means less of me and more of Him. That means that I need to walk in a spirit of humility. Just natural talent and charisma can look righteous. But we have to ask the Lord to empower us and to anoint all we do and all we say. And often our priestly role is difficult. Anointing requires time alone with the Lord. Time alone with the Lord. We live in the day of communication. You can talk to thousands of people at the same time all over the planet with one phone. We need to lay that aside. We need to spend time in God's presence. When becoming high priest, Aaron stayed in the, in the tabernacle compound for seven days. And he would offer sacrifices. A sin offering saying, God, I need your forgiveness. And then he made a burnt offering, which was completely consumed on the altar, saying, God, I need total dedication to you. And then a peace offering, saying, which was actually eaten in intimate fellowship with God. And so in Christ, who has fulfilled that, right? In Christ, who has fulfilled that, I can appropriate those sacrifices in him and say, Christ, I need forgiveness. I need total, 
Consume me. I need you to consume me, Lord. I don't want little compartments of my life and I give some to you and I keep some for myself and I act one way here and I'm another way out there. But I want to be totally dedicated to you, Lord. And Father, I need intimate fellowship. If I don't have time with you, if I don't speak to you and hear you speak to me, then I'm not going to have anything to say to them when I go out. So for seven days, Aaron felt the heavy weight of his responsibility. And that responsibility is no less for us today. We tend to think that the priestly duties are for the clergy or the paid people or the teachers. But listen, just as Israel is called to be a holy nation, you, church, are called to be a holy people. And as people of this book and one true God, you are called to be priests to a world without the book. Yeah, you're their teachers. You're their servants. You're their healers. You're their mediators. You're their judges. Anointed by God. What time is it? 11.30. What time we get out of here? One at one o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I brought a whole book of sermons here. Y'all want me to... We can go on to another one. No, I'm going to wrap this one up. Um, this is interesting. At Jesus' death, Caiaphas was the high priest. <clears throat> in, the, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew is Kohen Gadol. He was the Kohen Gadol. He thought he was the strut and gobbler. He really did. He wasn't a good guy. Matthew 26 records the trial of Jesus before Caiaphas. Verse 65 says something interesting. It says, Then the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, tore his clothes. And he said, Blasphemy. Why do we need any more witness? Look, you have heard the blasphemy. In regards to some things Jesus had said. In reference to what Christ had said. Now that verse is normally overlooked and unimportant. All right, he tore his clothes. It was Caiaphas throwing a temper tantrum. But we don't understand Leviticus 21.10 which says the high priest is not to tear his clothes. Hmm. Not allowed. And that tearing his clothes disqualifies him from service. Caiaphas should have known, probably didn't, but he resigned when he tore his clothes. He couldn't be the high priest. We didn't have one at that moment as far as the Old Testament priesthood was concerned. And then others people think that, well, John the Baptist should have been the Kohen Gadot. Maybe. He was from the tribe of Levi, and Caiaphas was really kind of a Roman political appointee. But John relinquished his rights to the position and lived a simple lifestyle outside the temple in the wilderness. One day when he saw the Messiah, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. So John the Baptist couldn't really be the high priest either. What I'm saying is Jesus, even physically, was the only one qualified to be high priest. Jesus, spiritually, is the only one qualified to be high priest. He is your high priest. And John, in the Revelation chapter 1, when he saw Jesus, you don't know this if you don't compare the passage to the Old Testament, but John saw Jesus as the high priest because the description of Christ matches the Old Testament requirements for the high priest. Jesus, John says, I saw him in a long robe and around his chest was a golden sash. That's high priest garment. Gold because of deity. Jesus is a priest who is God himself and come to heal the breach between man and God. John said his hair, his, his head and his hair were white. In Daniel, those are symbols that denote wisdom and purity. And the high priest was to be a man who was pure and wise. It says his eyes were blazing with fire and his feet were like bronze. Fire is a symbol of God's presence, like on Mount Sinai when he gave the law, and also a presence of God's judgment against sin. 
says, John said his, his voice, Jesus' voice was like the sound of rushing waters because like the prophet said in Ezekiel 43, that God comes and, and his voice declares his gospel to man quickly and in power. John said from his mouth came a sword uh, like, because Jesus is clearly the word of God and that his face shines like the sun because the sun's brilliance symbolizes the burning intensity of truth and the removal of all darkness bringing clarity and truth. So all of that to say, Jesus is your high priest. And if you really break that down, I don't have time to do that right now, but if you, if you break down chapter 1 in Revelation and look back at the Old Testament high priestly responsibilities, you're going to discover this, that Jesus is a teacher, that Jesus is your servant. It sounds strange, but he came to serve. That Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a judge. He is a mediator. And you built into his spiritual house called his priesthood, a royal priesthood, you operate in those roles too. You are to teach and rightly divide God's word. So we need to be lifelong students of this book. You are a servant undertaking God's cause. Not the world's cause, not political cause, not social cause, but God's cause. You are a healer to those around you who are hurting and dying and don't even know why they're sick and don't understand the cause of their sickness, you through transparency and how God showing them through uh, showing them how God has worked in your life through your own experience and through your knowledge of God's word facilitate the healing of the great physician. You're a judge operating in spirit and truth today and a mediator standing literally between life and death anointed by God as a kingdom of priests, the royal priesthood for His praise. It's all for His praise. It's all that He might be glorified. It is all that we might be His children pointing to the one true God. So I'd like to pray over you today and just bless you as the worship team comes that we would leave here with a, 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 a challenge and be encouraged to be the royal priesthood of the Lord. Father God, I thank You today that Your Word is true. I thank you that we can believe every word, Father, that you have spoken over us and to us. I thank you, Father, that in you I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, I can teach. Father God, as I hide the word in my heart that I might not sin against you, I can allow that word to become my speech, become my thoughts, become my actions. Father God, I can serve, not in my strength, but in your strength, Lord God. Father, I can facilitate healing. Lord, I can make make godly, righteous judgments today in a world that's telling us to go the wrong direction. Father, I can mediate, I can resolve, I can bring together uh, those who, are, who have been uh, separated. Father, in you, Lord, I can stand between the living and the dead today, Father God. So anoint me, Lord, to be these things, your priest, in Jesus' name. Doesn't stand a chance when I'm standing.